2: This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to The Tom Sumner Show.
3: What is segregation?
1: I don't know what segregation is.
3: Uh, What is bigotry?
1: I don't know what bigotry is.
3: What does... uh Hatred mean?
1: I don't know what it is. Uh,
3: what is uh, prejudice?
1: Um, I think it's when somebody's sick. Laser <whistles> right shot, boys! One, two, three, four! One, two, three, four! <laughs>
3: here, we understand there has been a shooting, a presidential car coming up now, we know it's the presidential car, you can see Mrs. Kennedy's pink suit, there's a secret Service man, spread eagle over the top of the car, we understand Governor and Mrs. Kennedy are in the car with President and Mrs. Kennedy, we can't see who has been hit, if anybody's been hit, but apparently something is wrong here, something is terribly wrong, I'm in behind the motorcade, trying to follow the notes as though they're going to Parkland Hospital. We interrupt this program to bring you a special bulletin, Dallas, Texas the flash apparently official president john f kennedy died at 1 p m central standard time
1: anybody here see my old friend martin can you tell me where he's gone he's free-
2: Difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. Yeah! I don't mind.
1: Like anybody, I would like to live. The time sumner program.com. The time summer program.com from the Tamsundershaw
2: Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner program. An astonishing account of the assassination of America's most beloved and celebrated civil rights leader, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, appears in the book, uh, a new book called "Chasing King's Killer." The author of that book is an award-winning author of several uh, bestsellers. Um, he joins me now by phone, James L. Swanson. James, welcome to the show.
4: Thanks, Tom. Have a good yeah.
2: Um Let's see. Now, you have uh, written um, The 12-Day Chase for Lincoln's Killer, Chasing Lincoln's Killer. Um, The president has been shot. Uh, James, one might think now with this new book, Chasing King's Killer, that you have a uh, morbid fascination with assassination. (laughs) You're not the first
4: person (laughs) to have said that to me.
2: I I would imagine. Let me
4: explain. Please do. I, I'm. I'm. I've always been fascinated by moments of instantaneous change in American history, and so this book, Chasing King's Killer, is really the climax of a trilogy I've written about the deaths of Abraham Lincoln, John Kennedy, and Martin Luther King. Abraham, and Martin, so and John. Three great American heroes and and the deaths of all of them uh, caused such a change in american history so that's really the focus of my interest
2: in in doing these books um in, and with this new one in particular is there did, did you come across new information or is it a uh, a a more complete telling of the story well
4: uh both I try to re- write my books like crime thrillers. They're nonfiction, so they're all true, but I want the reader to feel like they're reading a thrilling, suspenseful novel about the events. So partly my books are, are in the telling of the tale, the way I pace it, the way I have a ticking clock narrative, but I've also discovered new things And in fact, uh, in researching this Martin Luther King, book, I discovered a hitherto unknown and secret J. Edgar Hoover letter. Really? And I found it in a book uh, that was written by Hoover, and it was autographed to William Sullivan, who was the head of domestic intelligence of the FBI. And the context was, it had been announced that King was going to receive the Nobel Peace Prize. And Hoover gave a press conference during which he called Martin Luther King the most notorious liar in America. And Hoover got some criticism, a lot of letters and phone calls. I would think. <laughs> yes. But then he wrote a letter to uh, William Sullivan, head of the Mystic Intelligence, to thank him for his kind words. And the chilling line in the letter is, I share your view that Martin Luther King, exposure is long overdue, and he's about to get his just desserts. Now, that letter was unpublished and unknown for 50 years, and I I published that for the first time in in my Chasing King Steeler book. Now, of course, I don't take that to mean that King was plotted against for murder by J. Edgar Hoover, but Edgar Hoover did keep King under surveillance. He hated King. He he tried to blackmail King. He spied on King, and they try, the uh, agents at the FBI tried to get to get King to commit suicide because they were they were threatening to expose his personal life. And and so that's that's one of the discoveries I made in the book. D-
2: did you get any indication that there may have been? Uh, uh some kind of stalking of king going on that the fbi became somewhat aware of that that would have led to uh, the director making that kind of a comment
4: well yes uh the fbi had kept king under surveillance for some time in fact it was robert kennedy when he was attorney general who signed the order authorizing J. Edgar hoover wiretap and surveil and tape record uh, King and the FBI had also sent spies to infiltrate the civil rights movement uh, to watch what King was doing. I will say this though, J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI had no idea that James Earl Ray was stalking King and was planning to murder him. It came as a total surprise because James, James Earl Ray was not part of the Klan. He, was, he had not been involved in prior racial violence, and he had been in prison until March 1967, one year before he killed King. And when he escaped from prison, and he had been sentenced to 20 years for a minor armed robbery of a grocery store, he didn't escape to hunt down King. He went to Mexico, Canada, California to create a new life. In in fact, Ray was very much like many people in the 1960s who were lost who wanted to find themselves and went out for a new life in the age of Aquarius in California. And so Ray uh, went to ballroom dancing lessons. He took bartending lessons to become a professional bartender. He had plastic surgery. He read self-help books. He went to see gurus and psychologists to advise him how to become a better person and, and and achieve more. And so he was doing nothing during that year, to, to track James to, to to track Martin Luther King.
2: Now this book comes out, uh, James, as uh, just just as we're coming up on the fiftieth anniversary of King's assassination. And I can't help wondering, because the 50th anniversary of John F. Kennedy's was just within the last, God, I don't know, three, four years. Um, did did that book come out in conjunction with the 50th anniversary of that event as well?
4: Yes, it did. My, my book, End of Days on the Kennedy's Destination, came out in the fall of 2013 for the 50th anniversary.
2: And, and what about and, the Lincoln? Was that uh, for the
4: 150th? no that was, that was not timed uh for for an anniversary uh that book came out uh as soon as i was able to finish it but but I, I certainly wanted my my martin luther king book to come out prior to april 4th uh 2018 which will be the 50th anniversary of the death of dr king in the in the
2: research for uh, all of these uh all three of these books is there did you come across anything that would give you even a little bit of doubt as to the the recorded historical versions that that uh, James Earl Ray assassinated Martin Luther King and John Wilkes Booth assassinated Abraham Lincoln and uh, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald assassinated John Kennedy?
4: No, we certainly know. It was John Wilkes Booth because he performed The murder of Abraham Lincoln. After he shot Lincoln, he jumped to the stage, and he didn't disguise himself. He didn't shave off his mustache. He didn't conceal his face. He raised the bloody dagger in the air that he used to stab Major Rathbone in the box after he shot Lincoln, and he cried out, The South is at end, six Semper Tyrannus. What he was really saying, it is, I, John Wilkes Booth, who has slain the tyrant, and of course it was Booth who was shot and killed in the burning bar in Virginia 12 days later. And with respect to James Earl Ray, the evidence is absolutely overwhelming, uh, significant physical evidence and eyewitness evidence that it was James Earl Ray who drove across the country in that Mustang, who stayed at motels stalking Dr. King for three weeks, who bought that rifle who walked into the bathroom of that boarding house and aimed that rifle at Dr. King, and then who escaped. He left behind physical evidence, fingerprint evidence, other evidence. And so we do know it was James Earl Ray. And, of course, people have raised questions of conspiracy because it's our nature to want to believe conspiracy theorists. We can't believe that one man alone, let alone a loser like, like James Earl Ray, could kill a great man like Martin Luther King and change history but there is no evidence but this there's a possibility that one or two of James Earl Ray's brothers helped him in his plot and helped him escape but, but beyond that uh, there is no evidence I think one, one origin of these conspiracies is, is, is the FBI's uh, uh, harassment of King has made some people believe that they're behind the plot but but there's
2: no evidence of that fascinating I um, I, I wish we had more time because this is a fascinating subject uh, but we are just about out of time and I always give uh, our, uh, our guests an opportunity to share with uh, the listeners um, some information where they can find out more about what we've been talking about do you have a website James
4: well, uh, the best way to reach me or find out things is, is uh, my, my Twitter account, which is uh, just Twitter at James L. Swanson. And I'm very active engaging readers. And, and if people want to ask me questions, I, I always respond.
2: Well, thanks so much for uh, sharing these few minutes with us. I appreciate it very much.
4: Oh, thanks for having
2: me. Take care. James L. Swanson, author of Chasing King's Killer, The Hunt for Martin Luther King Jr.'s Assassin. Hello
1: darling, this is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner.
2: Joe Vi from the Blue Lions. Dan
1: Sterling.
2: Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Jonah Podi,
0: Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow.
3: State Senator Jim Antony. Comedian Brian McCree. The
0: unknown comic Mark
3: Farner.
2: And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend.
3: You have always got great questions, and you know the material and you and you care about it, and it's uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all.
5: Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
3: Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
2: Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is, uh, well, he's, he's an icon in these parts uh, and, and well beyond Flint's rock and roll legend, Mark Farner, joins me by phone. Hi, Mark. Welcome back to the show.
3: Hey, thanks, Tom. Good to be
2: back with you, brother. Now, this is going to be hard to say, but you have a fiftieth anniversary tour starting. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a beautiful thing.
3: And thanks for saying it. You're still sucking air, <laughs> so you can
1: still talk.
2: <laughs> I, it's it's just it's uh, it's amazing to me because you know I. You and I have talked many times, and you know I I go back, you know, almost as far as you do, and yes, I remember those early days and uh, all the all the great music and the great players and um, all the good times. But all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> we're we're looking at. Fiftieth anniversary tours. Now, you, <laughs> now, did you you just celebrated a milestone birthday, if I remember correctly, uh, in Wisconsin yes, uh, at yep. the, at the state fair this last summer? Absolutely.
3: Yep, seventy years.
2: Wow! And you still look and sound great, my friend.
3: I appreciate that, brother. I appreciate the encouragement.
2: And so how far into that set on your on your 70th birthday at the state fair in Wisconsin did it occur to you you were going to be doing a 50th anniversary tour <laughs> oh I <have> never <laughs> <laughs> you were playing I man truth,
3: so I... <laughs>
2: <laughs> if this that feels this good nothing, we got it, we, that got that it we got to take it out on the road <laughs>
1: yeah
2: no when when did you come up with the idea what what made you decide uh was it just the the realization that there was a fiftieth anniversary sitting there?
3: Yeah, absolutely. That's what it was. And the, um, my wife, she's my better three quarters. You know, she keeps track of this stuff for me. Always <laughs> bringing things to my attention, because Lord knows us creative types. Uh, we drive by a piece of gum wrapper that's shining in the ditch and work. We're, we're off on that. You know, <laughs>
2: <laughs> look, it's shiny. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah. now i'm I, I i was thinking of stuff i, I knew we were going to be talking because i knew you had this big announcement coming out about uh about this tour and we'll we'll talk a little about the tour and where you're going to be going but I want to talk gear for a minute because gear has yeah. changed. You know, back in the day, I yeah. used to stand in front of a wall of stuff. In fact, didn't you? Didn't you play a lot of West gear at one point?
3: Oh yes, yes, we had tons of West amps on the stage, and that's we wanted. You know, the wall for Mel and the wall for Mark, and and you know to go up and turn everything to ten. <laughs> and just open everything up so it's breathing nice, and then hit it. But uh, back in the day, my uh, association with Jim Thacker, who built uh, custom audio electronics boards, and he's the founder of Little Lights, and he's an electronic uh, genius. I said, Jim, could you make my volume pedal because I, I don't have a volume control on my guitars. They're just wide open, and I use a volume pedal on the floor. I said, Jim, can you make it so that I, I've still got clarity, and as I'm going down, pushing down the pedal, it starts to introduce some grunge about halfway down, and then when it's full out, it's balls to the wall, and it's the uh, Jimi Hendrix sound. <laughs> he says... Let me work on that. And he came up with this pedal that I, I used back in the day. And uh, what, a, what a great pedal for the time and, you know, with that rig. But, but now, uh, as you've brought this uh, to our attention, I'm using a Fender Deluxe for my high end and a, an extension speaker, a 15-inch ex- extension speaker, and a single cabinet for my low end. I split my amp up lows and highs uh and then i'm using stomp boxes i mean and and they're good old you know true bypass yeah stomp boxes cool
2: and 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 what about what about guitars every guitar player i know has a showroom (laughs) if you get have you got one of those do you have a whole bunch of guitars or do you just have a couple that you're fond of
3: uh, I don't have a bunch. I only have just a handful of guitars, but I have great memories of being able to bless people and give uh guitars to people that wouldn't have had uh opportunity you know yeah, and that makes me feel good. I've always been a giver, and just just the the art of giving
2: keeps a person happy. Are, are you fussy about the guitar you play like like some instrumentalists are? Yes. I, um, I take it from
3: my guitar tech, Jage, who has been out with everyone. I'm talking from Frank Sinatra uh, to Michael Jackson, Melissa Etheridge, uh, you know. Uh, yeah. the, he has been out with... The, I met him with Ringo Starr in 95, and he's been with me ever since because I just love this guy. And when he hands me my guitar, he also hands me a hand towel to wipe that neck off because he knows his grody hands have
1: been
3: (laughs) fondling it, you know? So I, and and I, if that thing's not slick, that's just one thing now at my age that just bothers the hell out of me. It can't have any smudges. It's got to be smooth and slick. And I'm happy.
2: And, And what kind of guitar do you play?
3: I'm, Playing a Parker Fly that they uh, manufactured for me back, you know, in, in the nineties when they were still uh, good instruments. In fact, yeah. in the ten years that Parker was in business out of Cambridge, Massachusetts, they put out over thirty thousand good instruments. So there's still a bunch of them out there, but the ones from US Music don't hold a candle to the original Parkers. Yeah.
2: Now I I, I I don't know why, but I but I. For some reason, I, I picture you as being a Gibson guy. but Yeah, but when I had my two vertebraes, uh, C6 and C7, fused
3: together, the yeah. doctor in Nashville told me, no more uh, slabs, no more tellies, uh, no more strats, no more Les Pauls. I said, dude, you are killing me. You're killing me.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: but... But when I was out with Ringo in uh, 95, I uh, we started in Japan, and I went over to the Korg factory because i have been a Korg endorser for many years, and I always like to see what they got coming out, you know, guitar effects and recording sure. effects and what have you. Uh, and so when I was over at the Korg factory, they said, Have you ever played a fly? I've never heard of a fly. I said... A fly? What the? What are you talking about? And so this guy goes, and he hands the guitar to me, and I'm taking it like it's a real guitar, and I mean, you know, like a Strat or something, yeah. but it goes it goes straight up in the air because it's, it's only like four pounds or something, I went, what the heck? Are you kidding me? Well, when I got home off uh, that tour, uh, I had to make immediate plans for this operation, and uh, when I got to Nashville and had it done, this this guy breaks it to me that I can't play anything that weighs over five pounds, and I went, "Oh my God, I got to get a hold of Parker." And when I did, Ken Parker and Larry Fishman were partners in the in the company, and they were proud to have me on board um, as an endorser, and they sent me guitars, and I've I've still got the same guitars. And uh, my number one is Baby, and my number two is Ruby. All right.
2: Yeah. And they are fine,
3: brother, Tom.
2: Now, who are you going to take out on the road with you? Hubert Crawford
3: from Memphis, Tennessee, played drums with uh, James Brown, the Barcades, the Eric Gale band. Uh, I, I've got uh, Bernie Palo from Detroit. He... Uh, I met him. He was playing keyboards with uh, Alto Reed, and we yeah. did some shows with Dave Mason, and, uh, Rick Derringer, and Felix Cavalier, and myself um, with the uh, Alto's band backing us up. And we thought, man, these guys are pretty good. So, when uh, when it came time to get a keyboard player for this uh, Mark Froner's American Band run, I uh, I hit Bernie up, and he says, "Yeah, man, I'll do that." So I got Bernie out of Detroit. And we've got uh, Lawrence Buckner on uh, bass guitar out of Jacksonville, Florida, who's been with me for whew, since 1985. Been with me a while.
2: And and you'll do the the thing four piece. Yes. Cool.
3: Four piece, and I, I double off, and uh, you know I play keyboards on foot footstomp and the Mean Mistreater and what have you. But. Um, spend most of my time on my guitar and some on my harmonica and some on the timbales. we do some little drum solo thing in there uh, we change it up we have a couple other different drummers because uh, sometimes Hubert can't make it and we have to use like uh, sandy Janero, who dru- was a drummer for joe and jett and the Blackhearts, yeah and then we use uh steve murphy who drummed on the Happy Together and the Hippie Fest and the Walk Down Abbey Road, all those festivals uh, that came out of New York City. And he's a ace a drummer and a good singer
2: and loves what we're doing. So
3: we'll have some really good musicians on the stage.
2: And you're going to be doing a lot of the, the good old foot stomping music, aren't you?
3: Oh, yes. That's my main, I mean, that's that's the meat when you come to see my show. I wrote ninety some percent of the Grand Funk catalog, so uh, you're going to get at least ninety percent of my
2: show is going to
3: be that music.
2: And uh, and of course you're you're performing as uh, Mark Farner's American Band. And uh, now the fiftieth anniversary is your fiftieth anniversary. This is Mark Farner's fiftieth anniversary, right? That's right. That's exactly right. And. So you've been doing this for 50 years. I suspect maybe even just a tad longer because you didn't, you know, you didn't just all of a sudden step up and start playing. That's right. right.
3: I started playing when I was 15. My mother got me six lessons and rented a K acoustic guitar uh, from Marshall Music, downtown Flint. And, yeah, yeah. And I had three lessons, and the guitar teacher called my mother and said he couldn't teach me anymore because he had a hunting accident. It was uh, ring-neck pheasant season, and he uh, was climbing the fence and touched the gun off and shot himself in the foot. So uh, he said I'd have to go watch some of these other guys in the high school. There was a band that I used to go and hang out and just watch them make chords, you know. Then I'd go try to make the chords, but they showed me some stuff and ended up I uh, sang in their band before I could even plug in and play anything through an amplifier. My cord went back to the amp, but it just kind of went through the handle and over the back.
1: <laughs>
3: it didn't get plugged in, but the, re- the red light was on. Uh, but then I finally got good enough to plug it in and and play and sing at the same
2: time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you played um, with uh, Terry Knight and the Pack, but also yeah. the Boss Men. Yes.
3: I played rhythm guitar with uh, Dick Wagner and the Boss and I played bass guitar in Terry Knight and the Pack.
2: I didn't realize. I, I knew that you had played with Terry Knight. Every, everybody knows that. But I didn't realize that you had been a member of the Boss Men. I remember... Uh, Dick Wagner having that band before The Frost. Uh Uh-huh. But uh, I didn't realize that you were a member of that band. That's cool.
3: Yeah, I was with them for about a year and a half.
2: I I think I probably have a track from that band, a couple, I think, somewhere. That's awesome. Um, So then uh, GFR, Grand Funk Railroad, formed in 1969 and mm-hmm. is, and is that when the clock started ticking for the 50th, uh, yeah, for the 50 years, the, Mark?
3: Yeah, because that, prior to that, I hadn't made any records, and that was the year I started writing, uh, more and more music. In fact, with Dick Wagner, he was the one, uh, that encouraged me to write. I was 18, uh that summer, and, uh, he, we went up to his apartment, and he would always stay up. Uh, you know, his kids and wife were in bed sleeping, so we would play our electric guitars, not plugged into an amp,
1: right? Just
3: you know, and and he would show me some chords and inversions and what have you. And I asked him, "Hey, what? How do you do this, man? What is it in you that comes up with all these songs, man? You have written song after song after song." He says, "Mark, you, you can write songs too." I said, I can. <laughs> you know, he said, yeah, you just got to go inside, man. You got something to say. You got something to say. You know, so he went to bed and I wrote Heartbreaker. That was my first song that I'd ever written, and I still perform it on stage uh, today. So uh, I attribute that uh, at the, uh, almost at the age of 19. I was 18 and going on 19. Uh, but when Grand Funk started, I was 20.
2: Now I so, I didn't you know I guess I didn't realize and you had told me that before that Dick Wagner was a big influence on you with regard to to uh, songwriting in particular and encouraged you yeah. but I didn't realize that you had actually uh, played with him I, I I guess I just didn't make the connection thanks for for clearing that up for me um, right on so then after after that what. What were the things that you started looking for, for things to write about?
3: Well, whatever came to my heart, I wrote about it. And when Don and I decided decided to form a three-piece band, we uh, started looking around and and, uh, investigating for a uh, bass player. You know, who can do this? And we went up to Delta Promotions in Bay City, where... We were going to give these guys a piece of our mind because we had just got back from uh, being stranded in Cape Cod for two two weeks out there in the winter's uh, worst snowstorm in a hundred years. Oh man! And so, and two of the guys were married in the band, and by the time we got back to Flint, um, two of the wives were threatening divorce, and and the band had to break up, and that's how we uh, initiated, uh, you know. The three-piece band. I said, "Why don't we just go three-piece and whoever we get to play bass, they can't be married." <laughs> oh <laughs> so man, that's how
2: it started. Man. No wives, no kids, no pets. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> what was the uh, what was the first gig you guys did? Do you remember?
3: As grandpa. Yeah um actually the hamburg county fair in buffalo new york and the second gig was atlantic pop or atlanta pop festival in 1969 um and it was 110 degrees in the shade oh, when we man.
2: hit the stage yeah but they loved us kids from flint how did you how did you get those gigs i mean you know, when you have a band breakup and and you know you're just you're sitting around talking, saying let's let's find a bass player, let's do this. You know, how, how do you how do you go about that next step, getting the the a place to play lined up? Well, Brewer had stayed in touch with Terry Knight, who was at that time living in New York City
3: and had a bunch of uh, music business connections and record company connections and what have you said that, that he would manage the band. And, uh, so he, his attorneys in New York city were doing the legal work for the Atlanta pop festival. And they uh. worked it out where they took, uh, less of the fee to get us on stage and open that festival. And we played for free. And, uh, and but once we got on the stage, uh, the the people loved us. I mean, and and we didn't realize until we were up on the stage and had the vantage point of looking out at the whole crowd, just how many people were there. And I'm gonna tell you something, man: 180,000 people. That's a lot of folks. It is you a look lot. look out, folks. and it's just nothing but people <laughs> everywhere, as far as you can see the horizon that's a lot of people
2: how'd you get around in those early days did you go we went down there in a van my
3: uh our buddy you know he had a a van and you you know remember who jeep holland is he was a promoter out of uh, ann arbor he did a lot of festivals he managed the rationals and some other bands um but it was uh jeep holland's van and we rented a u-haul trailer to haul our equipment in and we <laughs> went down yeah man went down to atlanta georgia and this is before i-75 was finished and i just i was riding a shotgun and i just happened to wake up and it's like just breaking daylight and i look up and the sign says i-75 and the arrow's pointing to the right and and the driver's going Uh, right through there, and I said, hey, man, I-75 is this way, and he took the wheel, dude, and flipped that trailer over, down in the ditch it goes, and we pulled all the equipment out of it and then righted the trailer, pulled it back out of there, loaded all the equipment back into it after we discovered that some of the chassis of the amplifiers were missing... The Transformers, (laughs) they were, oh, man, they came (laughs) off and the wires broke. uh, And our roadies, God bless them, they soldered those wires back together at Atlanta, behind stage, just so we could make the gig. And, uh, man, I'm telling you, it was, we were supposed to play that gig. It wasn't hell or high water going to keep us out of there.
2: <laughs> do, you, do you miss those days the 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 uncertainty the not knowing if you're going to make the gig or yeah
3: yeah because it,
2: it brings an excitement with it that it,
3: uh, it's real because it's brought on by the situation but then when you float through it and some magic happens and you you get the other side and everybody's going oh man that was great you know. Yeah, it's 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 definitely
2: a, a great
3: business to be in.
2: Did you ever think about doing anything else? Nah,
3: I'm farming. You know, because I I love yeah. farming. I love the land and I love the exercise, the the physical activities. Uh, you know, but but nothing else. Uh, I, I like being a musician. I like the freedom uh, that I have, and and. Uh, the ability to get in touch with something that's deep inside me and bring it out into a song
2: more with flint's own rock legend mark farner straight ahead
3: always you you, it's like having coffee at the
1: kitchen table with you
2: tune in monday through friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at tom sumnerprogram.com
1: hey this is the unknown
3: comic and guess what you're listening to the tom sumner show right now and now and now too and even now
2: This is our shot.
4: Now it's up to you.
2: Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner program every Friday live at eleven. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up and coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hopper. Hi, this is Joe by from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonzik.
3: Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis.
5: Hi, this is Rochelle Ray.
4: Hi
3: there folks, this
2: is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office.
4: I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill.
1: Start your
2: weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program.
5: Ellen Sherman, Cleveland housewife and mother. Hi, I'm a nuclear physicist and commissioner of consumer affairs. In my spare time, I do needlepoint, read, sculpt, take writing lessons, and brush up on my knowledge of current events. Thursday's my day at the daycare center, and then there's my work with the deaf. But I still have time left over to do all my own baking and practice my backhand, even though I'm on call 24 hours a day as a legal aid. How nurse. does Ellen Sherman do it all? She's smart. She takes speed. The tiny blue diet pill, you don't have to be overweight to need. And then I collect these paper bags. And I have them right here, all folded and everything. In case anyone needs a paper bag, I have one. Yes, speed. Because I fold them neatly, you know. I don't fold them just any old way. Why not ask your family doctor for a prescription today? And And when that runs out, you can ask your neighbor's doctor. And your mother's doctor. And your college roommate's doctor. And your best friend from high school's doctor. And your babysitter's
2: more with Flint's own rock legend, Mark Farner, straight ahead. Now, did, did I read someplace that you had recorded something just recently?
3: Yes. Yeah, we got... Uh, there's going to be five new tunes, uh, never-before-heard tunes, on, uh, on a CD that is going to accompany a DVD release of my show, my live show, in santiago chile and uh it's called from chile uh with love mark Farner from chile with love but the the cd that is uh going to accompany the live uh, dvd has the new songs on it and oh, cool uh, from the people i played it for you know they really and enjoy
2: it and uh, you know they know
3: it's me it's like oh yeah i can tell you wrote that i can tell that let
1: you sing it
2: <laughs> <laughs> and and now will that be like sort of a, a 50th anniversary package Yep, cool that's what it is yep. cool now some of the places you're going to be you're going to be in uh, brazil chile peru but uh, also the good the good old USA. You're going to be in Colorado Springs, Pasadena, California, yes. and yes. Flint, Michigan. Flint, Michigan. That's right. Now I Flint. read someplace you were going to kick the tour off, but it looks like you've got some shows uh, up ahead of your date in uh, Flint.
3: Yes, we we have a uh, I don't know uh, because I don't I never keep track of the schedule. I. I leave that information to my wife. <laughs> I got to leave my mind open uh, for creation, so she remembers all that stuff and keeps me on task. And uh, God bless her; she's my better three quarters.
2: But you did a uh, did an announcement this week at the um, uh, from the Capitol Theater about the yeah. uh, about you announced the fiftieth anniversary tour. And yes. you're going to be back during the tour to play at the Capitol. You've also got a show coming up in uh, Detroit. You're going to be rocking the river, it looks like. Yeah, Riverfront, yep. Um, and uh, Now, you're doing some acoustic and, and unplugged performances. How is, how is yeah, that
3: for you? It's good. It's, uh, it's just my bass player and another guitar player that I take out of Windsor, Ontario... Dusty D'Annunzio, who's been over playing for years, his acoustic gig, and he plays about every night, and he's really good, and and uh, I met him when we were doing um, the Border City Music Film Festival there, and, and I asked him, I said, hey, dude, um, I've been asked to do some acoustic shows, and I said, and I see that you're very versed on the acoustic, would you be opposed to accompanying me he said man let's do it so it works good and uh he's he's younger by probably 20 years but he's he's a a good personality he's, he's a trustworthy guy and uh, you know he brings it with he's a great player and uh and a humble guy so he fits right in with us
2: and and here you are, and I, and I don't want to belabor this point, Mark, but here you are at seventy, going yeah. on a fiftieth anniversary tour. You're recording, you're you're writing songs. You're recording, and people are still recognizing your voice after all these years of rocking. How do you take, <laughs> how do you keep your pipes, man?
3: Uh, I I just you know my wife is very health conscious and, uh, make sure that I don't get, um, too much inflammation going in my body because inflammation is a singer's worst enemy. Um, so I, I, I eat a healthy, uh, you know, meals every day and a healthy selection of food and and a lot of live food. And I take a wobenzyme, which is a anti-inflammatory enzyme. It's a systemic enzyme, uh, made in Germany, but, uh, I take that every day for my voice, and um, and shilajit, which is another, uh, you know, it's a, like a, a health food thing. It's a superfood. It, it's actually a resin that comes out of the mountains of the Himalayas in the Altis um, in the high ranges up above 12,000 feet, and um, I've been doing that for the last year, but I've noticed a, a really good improvement with it, the energy levels really high and uh it's not like drinking a cup of coffee uh which you know caffeine prematurely releases the energy you have stored within yourself so once it's spent it's spent but uh the energy you get from this shilajit spelt s-h-i-l-a-j-i-t that is uh it's real energy it's it's added to what you got going on and it will uh if you take it every day, it'll uh, help detox you. And, man, it's really good. I, I recommend it to anybody over 12.
2: <laughs> all right. Well, it sounds like uh, all that clean, healthy living you've done all these years has paid off. <laughs> yep,
3: yep. And and marrying a, a girl that's 13 years younger than me didn't hurt either.
2: Well, there you go. Um, <laughs> So you're gonna be uh, heading out on the road now. Will you be on the road full time, or you go out a little bit, come back a little bit? How does that? Yeah, work? we
3: do. We'll, well, we'll do the South American run. That's uh, 15 days out, and you know, we'll, uh, the the one-offs, we just go out. Like I did a date in California uh, not too long ago. Just went out for one day and came back. I mean, we've done those, but it's better for me to go out and do three or four shows and then come home
2: yeah well that makes makes sense well it is uh it is is really exciting to um to acknowledge this and and that there are going to be lots of opportunities are you Uh, when you're out doing these gigs Mark? are, are you seeing a lot of the same old faces that have been following you all these years or are you seeing lots of new people?
3: Oh, we're seeing lots of new people, lots of young people. And that's very encouraging. I mean, you know, when you got people that come up to the autograph
2: table and they go,
3: Yeah, my mom and dad turned me on to you guys.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, that is so cool. Well yeah. Mark, um, you know, best of luck with the tour. Congratulations on fifty Thanks, years. Brother of uh still doing it man still rocking right on thanks i appreciate it brother tom god bless you man knock alive all right take care all right bye-bye that was uh rock legend the iconic mark farner one of the founding members of grand funk railroad Of course he's going on tour with mark farner's american band it's the 50th anniversary, marking his uh, long and uh, very successful career writing and performing. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead.
1: Old-fashioned Radio Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah.
2: Boy, that went fast. That wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program, this Martin Luther King Day. Edition, paying tribute to uh, Martin Luther King with an encore uh, presentation of uh, author of Chasing King's Killer, James Swanson. We also had an encore with uh, Mark Farner, who will be playing the 28th of this month at the Capitol Theater. I believe that's sold out. But uh, we tip our hats to Mark any chance we get. He's been on the show several times. also want to thank... Um, Natasha Iskander from New York University talking about uh, World Cup slaves Um, in her new book Does Skill Make Us Human and uh, also from uh, Columbia University Howard French author of uh, Born in Blackness and we also paid tribute to Betty White who's uh, 100th birthday would have been today but she passed away sadly a couple of weeks ago. Anyway, I'll be back tomorrow with another edition. The Good night everybody. The
0: program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area.